Hey everybody, welcome to Twig 57. Today we have myself, Joe Kim, Adam Telfer, and Eric Kress. And we also have a guest host, Alex Collins. Uh, but before we introduce Alex, quick update, Jedi Fallen Order now available on Epic Game Store, which Eric mentioned he thought would happen. So that game's out. I think the new Pokemon, Shield, Sword, whatever game is out as well. And uh, I've actually been playing Jedi Fallen Order this morning. Um, looks decent. I, I, I had really high expectations. So for me, it was just kind of okay. But, you know, hopefully it'll get better. Um, but Alex, uh, let's talk about you. Wait a minute, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> First of all, I think the game is exceeding expectations from a quality perspective and that you are a um, outlier on this particular one because the reviews are a bit higher and I think people well, are excited. Yeah. My my expectations were very high. Like uh, my expectations were always higher than the markets and the industry. But uh, uh, I mean, I think the stock's up, and IGN gave it a ninety. And yeah. uh, I'm playing the game, and I hate. I'm not a big fan of these type of games, but um, I think it's pretty remarkable. The story's really good, um, and the gameplay is pretty good. There's a little bugs here and there, but for the most yeah. part, maybe it didn't meet your lofty expectations. But <laughs> no, I think it's met. <laughs> Comparing to God of War. I mean, you can't, yeah. can't put it on the same level God of War. I mean, come on. Yeah, but also God of War takes that team like 12, hour, 12 years to complete, right? <laughs> yeah. Delays like six times and yeah, yeah whatever. My, my biggest complaint is more with, with the level design. It's, it's kind of unclear what, what you're supposed to do at, at points. And it's, you know, it's not as directed and as clear as like whether it's a God of War or... Uh, sorry, I 100% agree with that. That annoys yeah. the heck out of me. That's why I generally don't like these kind of games. I like more linear stuff personally, but... But uh, I'm gonna get through it, and uh, no, it's 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 good. It's just I had massive, massive expectations. All right. By the way, who's wa who's watched Mandalorian yet? I mean, is everyone I, I have. not yet? Not yet. No yeah. spoilers. First episode only. First episode only. Yeah. Right. Right. It's it's, it's, it's pretty it's good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. it ain't bad. I'll watch it. I, I will I'll say of the yeah. Star Wars stuff, this game is the best by far of any of the Star Wars stuff out there, in my opinion. But you know, better than uh, Kotor. Kodor, yeah, Kodor. Oh, Kodor, Kodor is probably the best. No, no, that's... The, no. <laughs> okay, that's <what> I mean. <laughs> you gotta, we back away, back away, JK. Get a time frame. <laughs> See, you got to be careful what you say. We actually know what we're talking about, right? You can't just make big statements like that and not be challenged. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the interesting thing with Jedi, Jedi Fallen was actually the release, right? Because they had an embargo on the, on the reviews. That actually shocked me. Um, just because, you know, like you're, you've got Respawn, you know, maybe there is some grumblings from the team about like being able to deliver the quality on time and this type of thing. But, you know, Respawn, they should be able to deliver quality. Then they had an embargo, which, you know, for me was a red flag saying maybe the quality isn't up there. Started off at 90 in terms of the Metacritic, right? Like with IGN and it's already dropped down to 84. So like for me, I was actually looking for much more like a Dark Souls style game um, because from the videos, they really tried to be everything. And from the actual gameplay, it feels like it's very Uncharted. Um, it's kind of like a best hits of the last kind of console generation. Uncharted, Dark Souls. Tomb Sekiro, Raider. Tomb it's Raider. doing a lot of Tomb Raider stuff. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I, mean, I think it's going to do far better than they said. So they basically were basically putting it at like six to eight million units. And I think it'll easily do eight to ten because yeah. literally there's nothing else to buy. Right. And For despite... Sure. People are kind of hating on Star Wars these days. I think this last movie might be reasonably good and drive some upside think, on that. I think the Metacritic's high enough that it should hit people's Christmas list. It should be good. Yeah, and I, 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 and again, my thing is the response has been really positive. I mean, the IGN guys are glowing. 
definitely not as mixed as Death Stranding. Right? <laughs> yeah, not, that was that was like, weird. Come on. <laughs> yeah. But to be honest, like I, I've lost a lot of faith in Metacritic with like what was it, Red Dead Two last year? They gave that like whatever like, people were giving that nine point fives in this type of thing. That was definitely not a nine point five game. I'm with you. Rockstar gets all kinds of you know. <laughs> yeah. But it's, either way, from a business perspective, good enough Metacritic score should definitely drive a lot of units for you. All right, Alex, who are you? What do you do? Yes, uh, <laughs> happy to be here. Uh, my name is Alex. I'm a senior software engineer at Jam City. Uh, I've been, you know, following the blog, uh, contributing to the blog since around 2014. Um, so definitely a lifer. And um, yeah, I play play a bunch of games, play console games, play mobile games. Um, definitely. I, w I was playing Rush Wars until they shut it down, you know, RIP that. Um, and yeah, I'm definitely excited to be talking about uh, all the, you know, all the things we have going on here. We have some, we have some Twitch, we have some console stuff. I I'm excited to talk about it. So the first article we're going to talk about is not really an article, but a stat page that looks at Mixer, Shroud, and Ninja stats on basically kind of their, their viewership on Twitch and Mixer. This is, uh, this is a post that Alex posted in the Deconstructor of Fun Slack channel, which is why Alex is here, so we can get his perspective on that. Uh, the second is everything announced at X19's inside Xbox conference. The third is Fortnite's Android installer is now a launcher for Epic Mobile Games. And finally, the world is waiting for Google Stadia to flop. So those are the four articles. and. Eric, you wanted to say something? No, I was just going to be a smart ass. But actually, who, who invited an actual game maker here? Someone that knows how to program, right? <laughs> now we're completely outmatched, right? Because we're just a bunch of business people that don't really know much. Yeah, and I, then I can program Alex, too, Eric. Can you? <laughs> I was a developer first. <laughs> yeah. And Alex, you worked with Mishka at Zynga and FunPlus, is that right? Yeah, that's right. I, I, I worked with him closely at those places. And um, yeah, I definitely, I, I am a game developer, I am an engineer, but uh, I'm super fascinated by, by all of this business stuff and uh, maybe not the most excited by my, my coworkers at work when I come over and start talking about like systems design and economy balancing and all this stuff, but uh, um, I like to dabble a little, you know. Well, at least the IQ's up a little bit on the podcast, <laughs> so we should be good. All right, so jumping in, the first is Mixer plus Shroud plus Ninja. And so the website twitchtracker.com has a really cool data tracking website that basically just tracks the top watched and streamed games on Twitch. And there are some interesting trends you can look for there, primarily top games watched, for example. But the topic we wanted to talk about right now is the impact of the defection of Ninja and Shroud from Twitch to the Mixer platform. And I'll include a link in the show notes if you wanna check it out for yourself. But the very surprising finding is just how little of an impact Ninja and Shroud have had on Twitch. And so Alex, uh, again, thanks for sharing on the Deconstructor of Fun secret Slack channel. Now, now, not so secret, but could you talk us through some of the findings there? Yeah, so I mean, as probably most people heard uh, several months ago, the biggest uh, individual streamer in the world, uh, or at least on Twitch, was uh, Ninja is mostly a Fortnite streamer and he signed a massive contract. I think we were talking earlier it was somewhere in the realm of $50 million. Is that right? Yep. Um, 
to move his skills over to Microsoft's brand new streaming platform called Mixer. And um, this was kind of met with shock by the streaming community because Ninja was, you know, like a mainstay at Twitch. He had, I think he was averaging uh, nowhere near his peak, but even to this day, somewhere in the realm of 50 to 60,000 concurrent users on his stream. So, uh, you know, just a massive amount of eyeballs and Mixer having virtually no users, this was seen as like kind of a confusing uh, move and the, the first real challenge to Twitch's dominance. Um, soon after, a, another huge streamer, Shroud, followed him and people were kind of saying, hey, you know, this is really the first time that Twitch has been, been given some competition. And that's where it becomes very interesting to look at the data. If you look at the market share of Twitch versus Mixer in terms of the number of viewers, you'll see that Twitch has actually gained in terms of market share compared to Mixer since Ninja and Shroud have departed and, and, and boosted Mixer. Um, in fact, on this website, they point out that Shroud and Ninja take up almost 30% of all of Mixer's uh, viewership. So they're, they're providing like a, a massive boost to that economy. And even despite you know leaving Twitch and coming over to Mixer, Twitch has just continued to grow. And that is even accounting for, if you drill a little deeper, uh, both Shroud and Ninja with these new deals, most likely they've been streaming more on Mixer than they streamed on Twitch. Uh, they've been given, you know, with the money that they're that they've been giving, they've been given, you know, top billing constantly and, you know, kind of free reign to do whatever they want. And even despite all of this, Twitch just remains, you know, like you know, unaffected. And, and in fact, they seem to be doing even better than before. So, um, you know, I think it just goes to show, uh, you know, maybe much more than everybody thought that it's really about the, the platform where the streaming is being done more so than the actual uh, viewers. And it, it definitely paints a picture moving forward for how people kind of view these streamers, you know, that I think people thought that Ninja had a lot of power and a lot of sway and if twitch can survive someone like that leaving and just keep on trucking then you know how do you know i think there's some really interesting questions about to ask about how that affects uh you know kind of that ecosystem moving forward yeah that is actually a really interesting question if it's the platform or the personalities right so that would kind of lend yourself to believe that they that obviously that mixer or microsoft overpaid for these guys but from their perspective, I think they're doing a really smart job. Whoever is managing them is probably doing a pretty decent job because you just, it's really good to cash out while you can. I mean, Ninja was even on like the mass singer, you know, he was absolutely terrible. <laughs> he got voted off the first day, right? But, you know, you, it's just a cash grab, right? Just do as much of these deals as you can to make as much money because this is his five minutes of fame and maybe it's lasting a little bit longer, but, you know, he seems to be doing it pretty smart. Um, but yeah, that's interesting with the Twitch stuff. I, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but you know, numbers are numbers. But um, yeah. yeah, and I think we were also talking about how Fortnite, just in general, has been declining, right? Not, we we see that on on our side with respect to like revenue and stuff like. Well, revenue is still holding holding up, right? For no, revenue's down a lot. Well, I mean, I meant stabilizing, but from Twitch numbers, we we see more of a decline there, right? So, yeah, I think that if if you look at the 
again, like the awesome thing about this platform, you can just jump into any of the games and see. And I think that over the last uh, year or so, and, and especially in the last several months, you've seen Fortnite declining quite a bit. You know, I don't know how much of that is from, you know, maybe Fortnite's time is up. Maybe Apex is uh, kind of making some inroads into their viewership. Maybe, you know, the fact that these big name uh, like Fortnite streamers are departing from Mixer is is having an impact there. I think, like I said, it, it's it's almost crazy to me that, or, or it is crazy to me that Twitch doesn't seem to be hurting from this type of move. You know, like maybe it, it hurt Ninja's viewership, it hurt Fortnite's viewership, but it doesn't seem to have affected Twitch at all. Yeah, I guess we'll just see. You know, Mixer especially doesn't really seem to be growing they've kind of stabilized since the big boost uh that they got from having uh ninja and shroud and, and many other streamers come in you know how long can they sustain if these big bets that they made don't start paying off in terms of you know increased viewership and and the other deals yeah and, and microsoft maybe in this for the long haul because they probably signed at least three or four year deals with these guys so maybe it's more of a marathon than a sprint for them but the early numbers certainly don't look promising. The next story is about the XO19 uh, Xbox conference. Um, so this felt a bit like a last gasp um, for this current generation of consoles. And as we've said many times that their focus and their value proposition is anchored primarily on their subscription model. So. A lot of what they were announcing were related to that. So I'm going to run through this a little bit just to give you some context. I mean, Rare announced this game called Everwild. Obsidian announced a game called Grounded. Vision Theory announced this game called Bleeding Edge. It's going to be launched on March 20th. And the Age of Empires was announced, Age of Empires 4. Um, and then a bunch of other Sea of Thieves, Halo Master Collection, all this stuff. Wasteland 3, just a lot of skews from the game companies that they've developed they've acquired over the last you know three or four years but the biggest announcement was um they'll be adding 50 new games to xbox game pass including rage 2 age of empires darksiders final fantasy games are coming in 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 2020 as well and then phil spencer of course does that you know completely disingenuine oh yeah we've doubled uh, our subs year over year. So that could be from 500 to a million or five to 10. Like you don't really know. So they didn't really provide a number, but I'm sure it's closer to five to 10 than it is to closer to 5 million. Um, so I'm not really too sure. Actually, I did know at one point how much it was. I got to look at it. I think it was like a million. Maybe they're up to a million five or something. Anyway, uh, they're also adding a new scriber thing for three months, uh, which for a buck, which seems great. Again, discounting content though, a little bit scary. And then they also talked about xCloud. So they're gonna get a big update with a new 50 games added, including Madden, which is surprising. Uh, Tekken, Devil May Cry, a bunch of other things. So a little bit surprised that Madden 2020 is gonna be there, but it looks like this timing maybe early next year. So by that time, most of the sales for Madden would be over by holiday. Um, so in essence, I think this is a great slate of titles late in this cycle for xbox uh one but you know again last gasp let's uh this is probably the last big announcements of games for these current generation of consoles and then they start really start drive uh the next gen consoles 
Um, but despite the number of games, you know, in my opinion, there wasn't much of a killer app, you know, they, to really help improve their position or try to, you know, build, you know, the definitive uh, strategy against Sony. But I mean, it helps support the fan base and it certainly helps support all the subscriptions they have. So that's, that's always good, you know, keep the content coming and keep people engaged and, and, and try to pick up as many people as possible. Uh, so overall, you know, a pretty solid showing, but it didn't really feel like any really killer app that's really going to help drive them uh, as, you know, competing against Sony. Thoughts, JK? Yeah, so for me, I agree with you on the games. There really wasn't anything that really stood out of the games. Just talking about the games announced, probably the two most exciting to me were the, the Rare game. It looked pretty good. Definitely seems like there was a Zelda Breath of the Wild influence there, but that's probably a good thing. Also, Wasteland 3 looked pretty cool. It might be a little bit niche, but you know, nice music on their trailer video. And then kind of like the Obsidian game, I think it was called Grounded, was a little bit of a head scratcher to me. It looked more like it was for kids. Can't imagine that being big. And it was a bit strange in that the Obsidian games I'm used to, the ones I played were all the old school RPGs. And so that was weird. Also, Ninja Theory making what looked like kind of a poor man's Overwatch was also a bit of a head scratcher. And to be honest, it seems like these kinds of games are going against the grain and culture of those studios. And so the point I'm trying to make is that I think sometimes getting acquired, the publishing org leaves you alone and sometimes they get involved and basically fuck everything up. Hopefully Microsoft is not making Obsidian and Ninja Theory do things against what they want to do. You know, they hopefully they're not saying, hey, look at Fortnite, look at these cartoony games. You guys go make some cartoony games. But it does seem weird to me in a fan of those studios and having played their previous games, which I thought were pretty good, to see what they're doing now looked a bit out of character. If we do look at the timing, it doesn't appear as if this is a Microsoft thing since they were only acquired like a year or so back, but it feels a little weird. And so for me, the long and short of it is simply, if you were at this uh, event expecting big, big news from the Microsoft studio acquisitions, I'd say you were probably disappointed. Um, we've talked about this on previous podcasts. I mean, it, they don't have like a really strong, super like A-tier studio that they've acquired. But if you are an RPG fan and own an Xbox, getting Final Fantasy, Kingdom Hearts, Yaxeth, Xbox was good news. So from that regard, you're probably happy. Adam? Yeah. My takeaway is actually a bit more poignant around Microsoft's strategy because it feels like this is actually really trying to get them to push towards making the Game Pass work. Um, yeah, there's like the 50 new games, a bunch of legacy titles and a bunch of indie hits. Um, the one that sticks out to me is Remnant from the Ashes. Um, just because like personally, I played it at launch. It's actually an amazing game. Definitely recommend anybody who enjoys shooters uh, to check it out. Um, but it's actually pretty close to the re release window versus most of those other games. So I'm wondering from like, at, that's an external dev um, somehow putting in that game into the, the Game Pass pretty early after their launch window. Um, in terms of Microsoft and their strategy, what's telling is actually which first party first party titles are actually throwing into the game pass um and right now it looks like those are all the ones that they're actually trying to focus on long tail engagement um so things like age of empires um is not getting added uh, but games like the everwild and the um 
the Obsidian game, the Grounded, as well as the Bleeding Edge, looks like it's going to be added to the Game Pass subscription. Um, right now, it's unclear when they're going to be added to the Game Pass, um, whether it's going to be at the same time window as the launch or after the launch window. Um, I think that will be a pretty telling sign of how much Microsoft really believes in their Game Pass, especially comparing it to Gears 5's launch in September when they launched that day and date. Um, so yeah, I'd be t paying attention to that. Um, but overall, when it comes to the slate in the games, like besides trying to like revitalizing their like aging brands, so that's Age of Empires, Halo, um, sounds like they're actually doubling down on sandbox style services, um, building on from their experience from Sea of Thieves. That seems like their big strategy. Um, so yeah, to your point, JK, this is clearly Microsoft's strategy. They want to aim for these sandbox games um, and they're looking like they're pushing many of their internal studios now to build those types of games. So that would be Ninja Theory, Obsidian, and Rare. Um, because yeah, you look at Minecraft Dungeon, Grounded, Everwild, all of these look like exploration-based survival sandbox games, building out from Ark, Minecraft, Terraria, that type of formula. Um, overall, I, I, I'm counter to you, JK. I actually think like this is smart in terms of building up experience and actually trying to deliver on like a Gen Z Minecraft generation. Um, but uh, engagement in these games like just hangs on an absolute nice edge. Um, it becomes very, very difficult to figure out how to build a proper progression economy in these types of games. Um, so if you look at things like Ark and Minecraft, they're really built around like crafting, almost like in terms of mobile invest in express style games with some sort of like build and battle types of components. Um, it's pretty interesting to look at from a systems design perspective, but it's pretty difficult to build these games to keep players interested in coming back as well as launch new content that keeps players coming. Um, and Sea of Thieves, you know, they, they launched it. Rare is an amazing studio. And of course, I think everybody here is a fan of Rare, but they struggled with that launch. Um, there just wasn't anything to do. And there was no long-term goals. Uh, just collect booty and steal booty. Um, and while it bubbled up, since it's disaster launch, I'm surprised Microsoft is still doubling down on that same approach. So I hope that they actually get it right for these new games. Um, there are a couple here that aren't aiming for that engagement model. So that was the bleeding edge one. Um, so that's, like, as you said, like Overwatch type model. So they're likely going after Rainbow Six Siege or Apex within the Game Pass. But yeah, Ninja Theory are known for single player action games. So Hellblade, Hellblade and Devil May Cry. So um, I wish them the best, but I, I know it'll be a rough transition. Um, only other thing here is like the Life is Strange dev, like adding narrative to the Game Pass to try to like keep people in that sub. That's going to be pretty difficult. Um, maybe some episodic narrative type of thing, but I, I just don't see this is just so niche. It doesn't really have the numbers. Um, hey, yeah. Yeah. By the way, on a side note, um, we talked about Minecraft Earth a while back, I think. And yeah. man, this thing, I you know, you think like Harry Potter is bad. This thing is like monetizing at like two cents per download. I mean, it's like, it is anemic, you know, like, and I think you were the one that was saying that what they had put there out there doesn't really make any sense. There's nothing really to spend money on. And clearly no one is spending money on this thing. Hell, the downloads are low too, generally speaking. Yeah. I need to check out that, that it just launched in like us as a soft launch, right? Uh, is, is it only a soft launch? Is that what's why? Sounds like it's in some sort of beta period. But yeah, the, the RPI numbers doesn't surprise me. I think if I remember back when we chatted about it, um, the only output of their systems was like buying blocks, which you could use to customize stuff. So yeah, right, yeah right, that's right. not really a solid model. 
Yeah, that seems like a huge missed opportunity. But whatever, you know, that's that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Um, Do we move on to Fortnite? Um, just to jump in really quick, I, I'm actually curious. I, I haven't been following the the Game Pass stuff. I know I know Sony has one. I know Microsoft has this this Game Pass. Is this? Do, do you guys think this is working for them? Like in my own experience, like I have a PlayStation Four. I've had it since launch day, and this type of service does not appeal to me at all. Like I just go out and and buy the game if I want the game. I'm I'm. Maybe maybe it's just because I like I'm a type of player who like plays a game really hard and then and then is done and I'm not like branching out to a bunch of different games. But would you say that this this is the right direction for them to go? You you mentioned they're doubling down on it. Are you are you trolling me or something? What is what what's happening right now? <laughs> Do you know how many times I ram, rambled and ranted about this particular thing? No, I think it's really it's ridiculous. It's all ridiculous. I think the only approach that makes sense is when you're actually doing deals for new games as opposed to putting together like um you know old content no one no one wants that stuff now microsoft's smart because they have a platform and they have content that some people love and so they should be able to track an audience bigger than something like the garbage that is playstation now where it's just a bunch of old games that no one cares about until they put something like god of war in there and then 30 days later everyone's churned out right so no i mean this is i i don't think this stuff works i mean unless you have some anchor titles that are really super compelling and then you're just basically discounting the rest of the games and having one great game and 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 to what you're i think what you're trying to say is that that's just not the way you consume the content right that's not how people right. play games right they play they get a new game they play for a week to two weeks and maybe longer depending on, on the on the on the scale of the games and like grand theft auto for quite quite a bit longer and then you move on right you don't go back who goes back right yeah, I, i'm curious i mean i don't know i'm sure you guys remember back when microsoft was announcing the xbox one they're definitely no stranger to uh might i say some bold claims in terms of how people play games uh, i'm curious with the new console cycle coming up if they have plans to try and, uh, you know, make some new bold uh, business strategies around this Game Pass in terms of their new console. Like uh, like you say, I mean, if, if you know that people don't want to do this, they want new stuff, maybe Microsoft knows that as well. I wonder if they, uh, you know, try and say, hey, this is how we're going to deliver content on our new console. I, you know, uh, in their defense, I think they're being smart about it, right? They are building a service that is... Uh, you know, relatively compelling to some degree, but I just don't think it'll drive the big adoption or compete directly against Sony because Sony just has better content, like full stop, right? right? And again, they can't build a service that is broad enough to appeal to a big audience because they don't have sports, you know, they don't have a lot of action stuff. I mean, and a lot of these, you know, tier one, tier two, tier three developers are going to make some experiences that are going to appeal to smaller audiences, but they don't have the only thing they have that's really big is really Halo, for the most part. Um, so I, th I think it's just a, it's going to be a tough sell, but it will, they will differentiate sell, and they don't care as much, I'm sure, in terms of profitability. So maybe they can compete more and more on price that to make it super compelling. But I think this is the same idea. I mean, it's not even on the same. Sorry. What I was going to say is that like what they need is a killer app, something like some experience that you that is right. unique to the platform that. That you need another halo. 
Well, I, I think Halo's kind of lost its lure. Um, it's not nearly as compelling as it used to be. Given, right. I, yeah, I mean, just like they need they need what Halo was on right. the original yeah, Xbox, yeah, yeah, right? They right, right, if right. if they got something like that and you could only get it through Game Pass, that would start selling some some tickets. And and when they're bundling the subscription with a hardware subscription too, you know, similar model to like phones, which is what they're doing. That's kind of cool. I mean, it's getting somewhere, right? It's getting a little bit more interesting, you know, where you're only paying, I can't remember the dollars, I'm sorry, like 30 or $40 a month, right? For the access to this box and then you can upgrade when the new box comes next year. I mean, okay. it's getting interesting, you know? So, I don't know. I think it's All right. Cool, so. We'll see. Fortnite's Android installer is now a launcher for Epic Mobile Games. This was an article on The Verge. And essentially, Epic made a change to the Fortnite installer for Android, and it was updated to become the Epic Games app. And what this means is that instead of being a Fortnite app updater on Android, it's now pretty much a full-on mobile games distribution platform for Epic Games. Epic also just launched its second game through this app. It's a cross-platform title called Battle Breakers, available on PC, iOS, and Android via Samsung's Galaxy Store, as well as the Epic Games app. And just kind of playing Battle Breakers for a bit, it seems like it's a team-based RPG version of, if any of you guys remember, Dungeon To be honest, I was pretty underwhelmed with the game, but who knows? We'll see how it goes. And the most interesting aspect of the game is, to me, was just it seems like Epic's trying to pimp the cross-play features of the game, which seems like it's essentially a strategic marketing play for uh, Unreal. Yeah. The interesting thing about this is that Battle Breaker, as a game, just doesn't feel like it was built by the same company that built Fortnite. Um, yeah, it's kind of like Minesweeper plus a hero collection game. But the whole like direct purchase for hero thing um, just feels a bit counter to that type of strategy. Um, so yeah, my assumption is this is some sort of remnant from a previous strategy before Fortnite blew up. Um, because actually, like looking through the news, and Googling it, yeah, this was actually launched or soft launched or something back in 2017. Um, so I think this is just marking the actual global launch of it. Um, so it must have just been a remnant for like the last two years. And then they decided, okay, time to global launch it. And, uh, you know, instead of going on Google Play, let's just throw it into the Fortnite launcher instead. Um, whether this is like a sign of a greater strategy, I'm not really sure. I just feel like Tim Sweeney must be really pissed at Google Play for some reason. <laughs> right? He's but, got, he's got something up his <laughs> talks about this. I mean, the guy's like, he's out of control. But I think he I, just doesn't feel like he needs to pay the, the margin there, right? So, I mean. But and, he's fine with doing it on Apple? Like, well, but you can't, you have no choice. Yeah. So, where, where he does have a choice, he's just not going to spend it. Right. But yeah, the, uh, I, I don't see this game becoming a major success um it's just this you know this it almost feels like a test of 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 the system itself because this game has been in beta for a year and a half the metrics are pretty horrendous right the, yeah. the beta metrics weren't great and then right now it's like at 17 cents in the u.s and with very low downloads at least on ios I, it doesn't it just doesn't seem like this is not like their big new release for mobile. I think, you know, this is probably just more, maybe a test of their systems or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, I can agree with that. It, it, just, could, it could be a test of the, the cross-play. I mean, I know they have cross-play for, for Fortnite, but this does seem like a much more traditional mobile game. I wonder if they're just trying to test the tech 
or something. Yeah, but who the hell wants to play this type of game on PC? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have no idea. Okay. I know this is probably not the last article on Google Stadia, but hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) So, but but I have to admit, I say this is the article written by uh, Sean Harrison at The Verge, and uh, basically it says the world is waiting for Google Stadia to flop. And frankly, I thought, I mean, this is a brilliant article. I wish I'd pulled this together on my own because basically he's going through the short history of Google's failures going into the launch of this platform. So it really doesn't need paraphrasing. And so I'm just basically kind of read what he wrote in his piece. And what what he did was he managed to be super negative in a very subtle way, perhaps something I should learn in my old age. Um, So anyway, he starts off by saying, you know, on on November 19th, Google will officially become a game company, one with its own console, controller, distribution platform, and latest AAA games. If it all goes well, it may stand up shoulder to shoulder with Sony PlayStation, Microsoft Xbox, Nintendo Steam, or even surpass them someday. So then he goes through the history in March 2019, Google announced Stadia. It's going to be a cloud streaming thing. Instantly stream games to TV, desktop, laptop, or phone. Seamlessly swap between them thanks to an amazing wireless controller. And instantly stream YouTube in 4K. And then June 6th, they opened up the pre-orders. $130 Founders Edition, which includes a buddy pass that'll bring your friend along, right? Um, It won't be a Netflix-style all-you-can-eat. But then the negative happens, right? It reveals that Stadia won't be a Netflix style all you can eat subscription. You're gonna have to pay full price just like every other platform. And, and there's no real killer app, you know, except for Destiny 2 is gonna be a flagship title, although that Destiny's 2 has been around for like four years, right? Um, and then in June 15, Bungie announces, well, Destiny 2 is, not necess- is gonna be a closed ecosystem, so you can't cross-play with other, other, other platforms which basically means there's going to be no one playing this game, right? And then on July 18th, they say that, oh, the wireless controller won't support wireless headphones for, for TV play on day one. And then on October 16th, Google's caught adding disclaimer that you'll have to plug a USB-C cable into the wireless controller to use it with PC and phones. <laughs> Super wireless. That's Super wireless, guys. <laughs> And then on October 20th, see now I'm reading it negative. Like he wrote it positive, like he wrote it like so subtly and I, I can't even help but read it negatively. And then, okay, then this October 24th, Google, Google Studio uh, lead Jade Raymond admits, it may be several years before a big game takes full advantage of the cloud. <laughs> that's, the, that's their crack game uh, developer. Um, and then on November 11th, Google reveal, reveals it only has 12 games available at launch. And then on November 13th, the big, like, big reveal in Reddit, Google says that the launch Stadia won't give you the buddy pass for a friend for the first couple of weeks, won't offer Google assistance, except asking Google to launch a game, won't stream in 4K or HDR to Chrome PCs, won't offer any games with key st- stream connect, state share or crowd play, multiplayer, and, you t- and, you- and many YouTube features won't work um, on the Chromecast Ultras that were purchased as part of the founding Editions pack until they get a firmware update and more. So, anyway, the, he he ends the article saying, like the rest of us, they're waiting to see if Stadia will flop. And he says, I hope it won't, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if it does. <laughs> it's like I don't know. I thought it was a brilliant article. I wish I could be that subtle. I, I would give him more props if he would have like not hedged so much. 
You know what I'm saying? Just like, if you're going to have an opinion, have an opinion. Don't be a pussy. You know what I'm no, saying? I, I, no, no, no. I, no I, that's not the way I read this. I read that this, he has an opinion. This thing is going to die, but he's saying it in a way that's super politically correct. And I, and <laughs> this is Eric saying it, right? Like he's, I, I, I you know, I, 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 I'm trying to learn, you know, as I go. So here's the ironic thing in my mind is even if they delivered on every one of these promised features, it still wouldn't change the fact that this game, this thing doesn't have a freaking market, right? It solves nothing for gaming the audience and it's too complicated for the mass market and the content's just not compelling um, because they have no content, right? I mean, I mean fundamentally they have nothing, right? Um, and I, and I, what's going to happen is this negative news cycles will likely continue. The launch is going to be disappointing. People will be complaining about the data cap or poor performance in certain areas, technical issues, et cetera. You know, I'm already hearing some rumblings of employees that are looking for the exit. And I imagine that, you know, we'll see in the next, you know, negative news cycles is that someone like, you know, Harrison leaves or Jade Raymond leaves the company and everyone's like freaking the fuck, freaking out. Right. Um, so this just feels like an absolute train wreck. I mean, this is much, much, much bigger train wreck than Ouya, which was their latest attempt to get into the console space with what? No custom, no specific new uh, IP or new game to help push it. So I don't know. It just seems to be all our thoughts and how many times we've covered this thing. Um, it's basically coming true. I mean, in my opinion, anyway. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, um, I actually ended up canceling my pre-order for this um, because I don't even think it's going to be valuable for research purposes. Uh, I'd rather just be watching on the sidelines, especially just wait until the thing you know launches on mobile and can actually hit the feature set that it's going after. Just because, yeah, this launch looks like it's just not, it's going to be a complete disaster. Uh, they're going to have a bad launch, especially since there's just nothing unique or different about their offering. It's pretty much just a $130 console that you can play some of the top games for the same price as everybody else. But now it's going to be using between five and 20 gigabytes per hour <laughs> to stream, right? Like just to play. So like their bandwidth costs just became public on the Reddit AMA. And I'm looking at it like, how does, how does this make sense for any normal gamer, right? Like even for somebody who doesn't want to pick up a console, that just seems like an absolute killer because anyone who's thinking of buying a stadium, like myself personally, I have to say, just go pick up a Nintendo switch. It has a better game offering. It actually lets you play everywhere, even on a plane, right? doesn't destroy your bandwidth cap. Plus you just get way better exclusives, right? Like Luigi's mansion, amazing game just came out a couple weeks ago. I'll just wait until stadia, you know, comes to normal PCs and normal tablets, normal phones has some of the games actually with cross save, like then maybe it can make some sense. Um, but yeah, the whole like Destiny 2 ecosystem thing still like absolutely boggles me. How that is your launch title, yet it's a free game that's locking you away from your saves and your friends and all the other ecosystems. Like it completely defeats the purpose of why I would play Destiny 2 on Google. Um, yeah, not to mention like on Google's side, just the cost of all these players actually playing on their servers. Uh, I just think that the time it's going to take for this service to actually prove its differentiating features is going to be too long versus the actual unit economics for actually streaming these players. Yeah, and, dude, every person I've talked to that has any inkling whatsoever into unit economics around 20 gigabytes per hour and the hardware costs and the network costs all say that this model does not work. It is not, it is not profitable, right? And I mean, that's got to rear its ugly head pretty, 
pretty freaking yeah. quickly, right? And what's the percentage of the market that doesn't have one terabyte monthly, you know, bandwidth caps? <laughs> I, I right. No, I, exactly. I mean, I, I run into that cap every every month, right? Yeah, and I, yeah, I had to go unlimited. <laughs> what's got, that? You got fifty hours of gameplay, and then you know, and then you can't do anything else. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> So uh, I, I, the world is not ready for this service. The economics are not ready for this service. The customer is not ready for this service. Google's not ready for this service. Jade Raymond is particularly not ready for this service. <laughs> it's just a nightmare, dude. Yeah, this is definitely like watching a train wreck in slow motion. Uh, and from my side, a couple points from the article. First, there was a quote, Google has spent the past few months retroactively revealing that early adopters who paid $130 are buying into a glorified beta test. That's absolutely true. And I kind of feel like the only way to save Stadia is to spin it out from Google. This is not being well managed by Google. And so the, I feel like the only chance is to, is to carve it out, raise a ton of money from like, whether it's an Andreessen Horowitz or PE fund, give it a new management team, give it a hardworking and focused culture, do some strategic content deals, and also just give it a new name that doesn't sound like an, you know, artificial sweetener or, or you know, pharmaceutical drug of some kind. And then I think the other surprising part from the article for me was just the quote from the Tecmo Koei president criticizing Stadia for all the technical problems. And so my experience having worked with Japanese companies, Japanese execs is it would take a lot for a high level Japanese exec to openly criticize a partner like that. So my read on this is that things must be really bad for that to happen. You know, I, I th we can stop talking about Stadia until end of this train wreck or if Google actually implements some kind of major change. Yeah, I actually, I, I, there was another quote that I was thinking about as you guys were, were going through everything where <clears throat> they pointed out that uh, Google is not shied away in their, in their history of killing products that are not performing. And given that they've gone with this business model of like, you buy the games, you own them for the audience that you're pitching to, which is like people who buy games, telling them like, hey, by the way, in a couple years, those games will actually not work anymore is is just further leaning into how hard of a sell it is. You know, it's I think that this was the you know, we, we you, you mentioned it before, like when this was announced, I think the collective opinion from, from the people I talked to was like, what is the audience for this? Like, who is actually going to use this, you know, beyond the sheen of like, oh, it's this cool thing Google made. It, it just doesn't feel like it has, it doesn't have the games. It doesn't have the, the, the platform. It, it just like, I already have a PlayStation and I, I don't need this. I, I played destiny on my, you know, on my PC. I, in, in fact, I almost feel like I beta tested this exact service back when Destiny 1 was a thing because uh, PlayStation released a service where you could like remote desktop into your PlayStation and certainly the you know the latency and stuff was worse there than this might be but it might actually also not be worse but uh, even with good you know pretty good latency playing you know playing Destiny 2 on my on my computer or whatever remotely was like kind of cool but it, it just it just isn't the same experience it's it, it's not the same as like sitting at my computer you know sitting at my desk really plugged in and 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 on discord playing with people you know it's it it really uh, from google's side it just makes no sense to me to have destiny 2 be the launch title because it it's a completely separate audience from what 
the kind of people who are buying Stadia. Yeah, I mean, I'll say that I actually think that technology itself is pretty amazing. I think the experience could be right. But the, the, the key question for me is, is, is now the right time for Stadia? And is the management team behind Stadia the right management team? And so I'm, I'm kind of thinking no on both counts right now, just from what, what I'm hearing. No, I think JK, if, you, if they partner with the right people, this is the right, the, the tech is, is great. Um, yeah, fantastic tech. Yeah, so if like, man, if they partnered with Valve, right? And made that work and you, you paid in something like this, that would be incredible. Partner with Sony. Who, who, well, I mean, okay, but that's probably what'll end up happening because they're not yeah. going to scrap the tech, right? Because the tech yeah. is theoretically going to be used for other services, not just gaming, right? So, what they, I think we said this last time. So, they white label this, they give it to EA, they give it to Valve, they give it to whoever wants to buy it, and they get a piece of it. And that's, that's how it'll survive or the tech will survive. But yeah. in terms of a Stadia service, I mean, I think it's DOA and it's not going it, to, there's nothing they really can do over the next two or three years that is gonna yeah. prove it. But I will say for that, and for, even for that to work, I, I'd say some, some private equity fund needs to come in and get that out of Google because you can't do this, run the same Google you know, nonsense and treat this like a, you know, like a web app or whatever. It's, it's a different business from what Google's used to. But that'll just make the unit economics even worse, right? Yeah, right, then you're, yeah, Maybe. cross, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, well, we, we shall see, I, I, I hope I get my, oh, I don't think I said this in the note. And then they said that they're not even going to get it. Not everyone that pre-ordered it's going to get it on day one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, unbelievable. So I'm hoping I get mine on day, day one, right on the 19th, but we'll see. So you're going you're gonna to keep it, eh? You're not going to cancel? Yeah, why not? I mean, come on. I spent enough. I talk so much trash about this. I might as well give it <laughs> them 140 bucks, right? Um, I, 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 I want to see it work. Right, I want to. I want to get it on my PC with that little dongle thing and, and watch it work and see what what the experience is like. Um, but you don't have any bandwidth left. Spent it all on Call of Duty. No, no, no. I, Duty. I, I, I had to. Go, I had to go unlimited, dude. And and <laughs> and I I keep telling people, look, if I was downloading porn all the time, I would tell you and I would admit to it. But I don't download porn, and I just don't understand how I kept getting to the to the one terabyte cap. And I think I think it's Netflix 4K, and it's like three like gaming PCs that I'm updating constantly with all the content on there that just screws me. And it's been like a year in which I am just like light above the cap and it's so stressful, right? Because every day you go over, then yeah. you have to pay like $10 per 50 per, megabytes, per 50 right? Megabytes, or megabytes. Yeah, it was, it's nuts. So I just basically said, forget it. You know, give yeah. me the old- uh, $10 an hour to play Stadia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but it's really cheap to get unlimited. I don't know why I didn't do that before. It's only, I think it's like 10 bucks extra a month or something. So I don't know, it seems, Good deal. And now I can download porn all I want, right? <laughs> we, we're going to edit that part out, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. I guess, is that it? Is that a wrap? I think it's a wrap. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. See you all later. Bye.